everybody, our pastor, John Lieb. I am on. I'm turned on. I usually am not on, but I'm on today, brothers and sisters. So, uh, hey, I just got to give a, a hello to Tim and Courtney. Valerie, sorry. Well, I hugged Courtney. I was thinking of Courtney this morning. I'm sorry, Val. Tim and Val, they've, they've moved on to uh, Greener Pastures. Now, where are you? Richmond, Virginia. Yeah, a beautiful place. Hey, I've just, every, every Sunday I have to get humbled, you know, by saying someone's wrong name or whatever it is. But we are so happy to see you guys. They're Facebook friends, and I get to see their, them and their kids every so often, but good. Uh, we have alumni all over the place, and they're Vineyard alumni. Since you guys have been here, Jason came up with this idea that our church is some, in some weird way, is like Hotel California. You know, <laughs> that's it. You can check out, but you can never leave. And you'll just find yourself drawn back here for some crazy reason. So, uh, But there's no, one, there's no guys dancing in the courtyard around here. We don't do that. Uh, hey, I don't know if you guys noticed it, uh, but I saw, the, I saw a video. And forgiveness, forgiveness is in the news again. And it, it every, seems like every so often something happens where somebody is in this tragic situation and they forgive, and the news people just go, what? And I don't know if you, you saw it on the news. It was on a lot of different channels. But uh, Brant Jean, a young man whose brother was killed uh, tragically by a police officer. Uh, it's a long story about the, the, who was and, and at the, at the uh, trial, the sentencing phase. He, uh, they give victims a chance to make comments, and he just made a comment, and I saw the video clip of it, it was tremendously moving, uh, of just his hope for her that, you know, God would forgive her, that she would turn to Christ, and he, and he asked the judge, he said, after he makes this statement, he says, could I hug her? And they hugged, it was moving, man, it was powerful, they hugged, and he said, I forgive you, uh, and it was just one of those moments where you go, wow, just wow, uh, his family had lost this young man, his brother, uh, Botham Jean, was a believer. And by, by all accounts, just an amazing young guy. And he's just sitting in his apartment. And someone, police officer comes in after a 15-hour shift and thinks that someone's broken into her home and shoots him. And he dies and she's in prison. Uh, and it was just a mess. And this man speaks forgiveness. And it was like, remember... Uh, the American Methodist Episcopal Church in Charleston, same thing happened. This crazed gunman killed a bunch of people at a prayer meeting, and their family members came into the pretrial hearing and forgave him. And it was just, when, when people hear about forgiveness, they just go, what? What? Forgiveness? You know, I mean, aren't you mad? And of course they're mad. In fact, some of the family members of Botham Jean's family members said, we're really angry but we forgive you. And those two things are not incompatible if you really understand what forgiveness is about. And forgiveness, I want to talk to you today about forgiveness. We're going to look at a parable in the Gospel of Matthew. And I'm just, I just want you to buckle your seatbelts. This, this is a hard subject, right? This is not easy to consider, the whole issue of forgiveness and forgiving people that harms you. But I want you to understand, I want you to take away some things today. I'm, I've kind of broken this talk up into three parts. First, forgiveness is crucial. Forgiveness is misunderstood. And forgiveness is costly, okay? Crucial, it's misunderstood, and it's costly. Now, I don't know if you know, there's a, in this parable, I'm going to read it in just a second. But in this parable, it starts with Jesus talking about, you know, working through reconciliation with someone who's wronged you. And, and then Peter goes, Lord, I got a question for you. How many times, if my brother sins against me, should I forgive him? Up to seven times? And Jesus goes, let me think about it. <clears throat> How about 77 times? And, and there's a pregnant pause when you read this section. And then Jesus teaches this parable, which we're going to look at. 
And what he's saying is Jesus says forgiveness, forgiving others, is a big thing. It is a huge thing. In fact, it's, it's a life-defining thing. And as you'll see in a second, he says it's a big thing because it's so crucial. It is so crucial. And you could, you could even say this. If, if, and all of us, I, I can, this is one of those topics where I can, I can, I'm, I'm sure that you've struggled with this because you're breathing, right? You're breathing. You walk amongst the rest of us carbon-based units. You have been hurt. You know what it's like. You've carried pain around many, many times. Jesus said it's crucial for us to learn to forgive. And interestingly, you know, we, we're doing a series on spiritual warfare right now. And we had an interesting weekend last weekend, and it's just kept building all week. But you may think, well, what does forgiveness have to do with spiritual warfare? John, it's just one of those, on, you know, like one-off kind of messages you, you do you, because you're, you're kind of spiritually ADD. Like you got us on this series, and all of a sudden, boop, you jump over here in another zip code. No. Remember how we based this whole series on the, 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 a theme which I've argued, and I think I'm, I'm starting to convince many of you that this is a huge theme in the Bible, spiritual warfare. So let's go back to the Lord's Prayer, and let's read it again. Let's say it out loud again. Okay. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Now pause. Now, the next couple of lines, I want you to just pay attention to the next two lines. Forgive us our sins as we forgive others who have sinned against us. Now, pause. This is really connected to the next two lines. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Do you notice where Jesus put this really important line on spiritual warfare? After we confess our sins and we confess our, that we're forgiving other people. Because we don't have standing. Sin is the thing that gives the enemy standing against us. If we hold on to things that are wrong, we make ourselves vulnerable to the enemy. And then we can't deal with the enemy properly. It's like getting the best burglar alarm system in the world and then not turning it on. And living in the hood on top of that. Jesus is saying, for our sake, forgiveness is crucial. And so in this parable, I want to read the parable to you. If you have a Bible with you, uh, you can follow along with me. But if you don't, there's under the chair seats in front of you, there is paperback Bibles that look like this one. And again, like I say every week, you're welcome to take one or more home. If you have friends who suddenly have just got this Bible compulsion, you can feed them. So page 682, Matthew 18. It might not be 682 in your personal Bible, and I know it's not 682 in those of you that are using your digital Bibles, but this is old school. So Matthew 18, verse 21. Okay, it's going to pick up where we already covered. Peter came to Jesus and said, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus says, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. That's what they did in the ancient world. Debtor's prison. You worked it off. The servant fell on his knees before him, before the king, and said, Be patient with me, and I will pay back everything. And he was begging him. The servant's master did three things took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I'll pay you back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were greatly distressed, and they went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in, You wicked servant, I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, and I want you to notice that, in anger, he turned, his master turned him over to the jailers 
to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother from your heart. Now I want to pray for a minute. Lord, these words are, uh, we know they're, they're good words because they're from you, but we just want to acknowledge that they're not always welcome words and they're not w- words that are easy for us to hear. It brings up things that are hard for us to think about for lots of reasons. And so we just look to you and we ask for the help of the Holy Spirit, your spirit that you put to live in us and to, to be our coach and to be our counselor and to be uh, the one that strengthens us, empowers us and guides us and teaches. And we pray that he would do all those things and more today, this morning. And we just, we've stopped and prayed to give you permission and to look to you. And we don't want to, like your, your word says, don't lean on your own understanding, but in all our ways acknowledge you and you'll direct our paths. And so we want to acknowledge you and ask you to direct our paths as we look at this today. In Jesus' name, amen. So forgiving other people is misunderstood. And before I make some comments about this, let me, let me tell you three things that I got from Terry Wardle years ago, and it's really helped me. Forgiving others doesn't mean this, because when we start talking about forgiving, uh, people start getting into a defensive you know, uh, karate posture. And, and we start putting barriers up because we misunderstand what forgiveness is and we don't know what's important for us. And so we think, I, I'm not going to, man, you're not slipping any of that Christian greasy grace in, in, in my heart. You know, stay away from me with that stuff. And so we have to clear up misunderstanding. One of them is, there's, there's three things that, that Terry taught us. Uh, in fact, it's, he's, he's taught it on many occasions, but Forgiving others doesn't mean you forget, okay? doesn't mean you forget. In fact, the whole idea of forgiveness requires you remember. It's just how you remember. Like, like Miroslav Volf says, how we remember how we've been sinned against changes us. And so you're not being asked to forget something and, or, or live in some kind of weird denial about it. Second, you're not being asked to act like it didn't matter, which is another really crucial thing to come to terms with. Because sometimes when people, people have been taught to live in denial about really big, important things. And sometimes we've just figured it out ourselves that helped us get through those things after they happened to us. But denial isn't, it's not a good state of mind. It's not a good practice. And when, when you forgive, it doesn't mean you're excusing it either. Not just pretending it didn't happen, but you're not supposed to excuse. Forgiveness isn't excusing any wrong at all. Third, it doesn't mean when you forgive someone that you release them from all responsibility. You know that? You don't release them from responsibility. They aren't off the hook. It's saying something about your posture towards them. It doesn't say anything about them and uh, the civil law or them and God. That's between them and God and them and other people. But it does make a statement about your posture towards them moving forward. And so... If, if those are big things to kind of get cleared up, and I don't know if I've explained that uh, adequately to you, you're welcome to come up afterwards and, you know, if you want to nuance that. But if forgiving is crucial and we understand what it's like, what we face, and, and when we read the parable here, is that forgiveness is really costly. It is super costly. It's hard. You can, you can I, I'm going to just show you just for a second how that's drawn out. Because if you're going to forgive somebody, you're going to bear a cost that you have to really think about before you bear it. And it's not something you just do like that. If you're doing forgiveness like this, what Jesus said at the end, if you didn't catch it, it means you're not doing it from your heart. Forgiveness is not something that happens like this. Unless someone spills a cup of coffee on your, you know, on your Formica countertop. Oh, I forgive you, you know. <laughs> Boop, you're forgiven. If you're talking about they they. They poured wine on your family, you know, your, your, the, an heirloom that was hand-sewed, you know, 22 generations ago. I can think at that point, you know, you might need to, to cool off a little bit and go through a process of forgiveness because that's what it's like. Forgiveness is not like this. It's not real if it's like this. Let me tell you this. Forgiveness is not real. If people tell you it's just, it's just all it is is a matter of your will, that you just choose to forgive. Man, that is ignorant. And I'm, I'm being kind when I say that. Because here's what 
this king did. Here's what this story tells us, all right? She's reading, see that her, her, she's reading a passage, just a, prof, it's a prophetic word. We're in one of those moments, you know, it's a thin place. The angels, anybody see the angels? There's one over there. Jesus is telling this parable and he says, listen, this is what the kingdom of God's like. This parable is one of those parables. All the parables are great, but this is one of the really, really deep parables. It unfolds so much about the kingdom. It unfolds so much about the heart of our Father in heaven and the kind of heart he's trying to form in us. And more importantly, the kind of world that the kingdom is creating. And what he says is, in, in the ancient world, kings, and the picture of this, when, when you hear the word servant and you master, you think of like a household. But what he's really describing here is more like an empire where the king of that empire has governors that governor, govern huge swaths of territory and have great responsibility. And he's calling them in as, you know, people had a habit of doing for like an accounting to see how have you been doing with what I entrusted to you. And so one servant has this huge territory and he squandered an insane amount of money. And scholars have argued over this. It would be boring for you for me to recount the, the scholarly arguments about this. But at the very least, what people are saying was this was hundreds of millions of dollars. And Jesus isn't speaking in a hyperbole. He's trying to give us a picture of this. This is the king. This king that comes to mind in this story is, is supposed to bring God to mind. And it's supposed to bring his servants to mind, which is us, people, because we keep, I keep referring back to what Genesis says, God made us to be his partners and rule over the world. So this is a picture of how the world is. And it's a picture that we can all relate to, even though sometimes I, you may sit here and think, I don't have like that big a piece of the pie, John. <laughs> My piece of the pie is like, you know, like those little peanut butter cups you get on, on uh, Halloween, right? We're not talking about some huge nightmarishly large thing. It's me. Well, that's your perspective. God says you see your life in a way too limited way. And that he's given us tremendous, significant responsibility, each of us, whether we recognize it or not. And so what the king does is he calls the servant in the carpet and says, I forgive you. After the accounting, he says, I forgive you. Now, here's what has to happen. When someone's forgiven, the king, the king absorbed the debt. You understand? He was saying, where did all the money go? And usually when the servant goes, like that, the king goes, you know, uh, sell whatever he has and pay that debt. Of course, it would never balance the, the, the budget doing that, but it was the just thing to do because he, had, he enjoyed what was given him, a, the stewardship that was given to him, and then he blew it. And that's what we do, isn't it? So he's saying, I will pay your debt. But it says first he looked at the man and he said, it says the king felt compassion on him. And that's a phrase that's used over and over and over in the Gospels to describe it in, in the original Greek, either God or Jesus. And the way he related to person after person after person. So sometimes when we look at people who have harmed us, they don't seem human. They don't seem like people. That we can't find the compassion in our heart. But it says here that the king sees this man who squandered an unimaginable fortune. Whether it was, you know, let's say it was uh, he just did it because he was foolish and not skillful, or not very responsible. Or, you know, he went to Vegas a lot. You know, he had, he had a, a line at Bovado. And it, all the money just went there because he kept betting on Michigan to win. And he just kept losing you think at some moment he was said, I think I start betting on Ohio State. I'm sorry, Jay. It was just a, it was just a softball just hanging there. Whether, whatever the reason was, the king, and this is how the king looks at us, and sometimes we, we forget this. He really sees through all of the excuses we make, and he sees what's really going on in our hearts. And there's a lot of times I've lied in my life, and it wasn't just because I, I forgot the facts. I said it wrong, or I just didn't tell the whole story, and I lied. And then the older I get, I realize I can't even remember the whole story anymore. So 
half the time, like, like today, Kathy said, you got some wrinkles on your shirt right there. And I said, honey, I'm getting old. Even my clothes get wrinkled now, right? It's, that's what happens as you get older. My memory is not what it used to be. And I used to have a great memory. Gosh, I can't remember what I did this morning. But it doesn't matter. The king looked at that man and said, he, he, he saw the man and he felt compassion on him. He took pity on him. That's what it says. Your translation may say something different. And then he absorbed the debt. Then he let him go. And you, did you know the Greek word for forgiveness has a range of meaning? If you, if you look it up in uh, you know, any Bible dictionary, the Greek word to forgive means to let go. How about that? To let go. To set free. Gosh, that is when, when you're dealing with being wronged, and maybe de- being wronged in a significant way, letting someone free, that's a tough pill to swallow, isn't it? So he, this, he draws out of this parable, forgiveness, forgiving others is costly, but it's far more costly not to forgive them. Because look what happens in this story. Look close at the story here. When, when the servant who's forgiven gets out of that room, it says he goes and finds someone who owes him a hundred denarii, which was not an insignificant amount of money. And it says he starts choking him. He says, pay me back. And the man does word for word, Jesus tells the parable, exactly what that man had just done before the king. This man does before him. And he says, give me time and I'll pay you back. And what, is, what does he say? No. He doesn't have pity on him. He doesn't absorb the debt, even though he's in a position to absorb that debt now. And he says, take him away. Have him and uh, all his family put in the debtor's prison until he pays it off. And in the debtor's prison, they tormented you there. Now, the Bible says over and over and over, there's a consistency in that when you're in debt, the borrower is slave to the lender. How many of you have ever felt that? You ever felt it? You ever gotten behind and you start getting the, lo- the letters? You ever got any phone calls? I had some medical debt years ago. I got some phone calls. No fun. And it begins, you start feeling it. And you start feeling the stress, right? The stress of it, that is no fun. In fact, it's not just no fun, it's miserable. So here's what he says. You can see there, there's two costs. I could give you a lot. There's two costs that he, Jesus shows us in this parable to being unforgiving. This is why unforgiving is costly. I mean, forgiving is costly, but not forgiving is even more costly. That's what I want you to take away with today. Jesus shows us in this parable two costs. The first cost has to do with our character. When we begin to withhold forgiveness, it changes us. It begins to work in our hearts at a very deep level, and it begins to corrupt us. And I have an acquaintance, named, his name's Andrew Comiskey, Andy Comiskey, and he leads this international ministry called uh, Living Waters. And Years ago, I was reading through his manual, and I always go back to this. He, he has 10 ways. Now I'm not going to elaborate. I'm just going to read them real quickly. 10 ways that when you are unforgiving or you nurse grudges or you hold on to resentments, that it changes you. I'll give them to you real quick. He says, first, it makes you judgmental. It makes you judgmental. Have you ever had someone be judgmental towards you? What's that like? But this is what starts happening to you, whether you realize it or not. Do you see how the man in his heart, even though he was forgiven of this tremendous debt, how he immediately just thought this man, and he had no mercy in his heart. He just had this judgment. Even though he's forgiven, we lose perspective. We lose perspective when we begin to hold on to unforgiveness. It just happens to us. We lose moral perspective in many, on, on many accounts. We become resentful. We not only resent the person who's harmed us, but people that they're associated with, groups that they're a part of, classes of people, we begin to judge those people too, just like we judge that person that's harmed us. Because this is what happens. Resentment causes things to bleed out into other places that they, that they shouldn't. We begin to avoid. This is, a, this is one of the, the characteristics of what happens to you when, you when you nurse a resentment. You start avoiding that person. You avoid where they go. You avoid the people that hang out with them. And the weird thing is, is if you're a believer and you're angry at another believer, in a weird way, you will begin to, whether you recognize it or not, avoid God. It just happens. Maybe you're sitting here thinking, wow, that's what that was. I get it now. That's why I said this isn't easy to look at. Uh, 
we, unfortunately, we start wishing harm on people. As unforgiveness takes root, it starts giving birth to the fruit of vengeance in our hearts. Uh, we gossip about people. We speak poorly about people. We begin to think we're better than them. We believe we deserve to be blessed more than them. And this is the last one I'm going to mention, but this is one that's really dangerous is when you withhold resentment, uh, when you hold resentment towards another person, you will begin to lose a sense of conscience and sensitivity about the impact of your actions on all kinds of other people. And that's a hard thing to recognize. But we get hard. Unforgiveness makes us hard people. And it starts happening deep in our heart. And what the gospel promises is that in Ezekiel, it's an old covenant promise that we see over and over in the New Testament. Like when uh, Jesus was at uh, a big banquet, a woman who'd been, you know, a real notorious woman who had been forgiven came into the banquet and honored Jesus. She took this precious uh, perfume that she had and she poured it on him and, and she noticed that he had not been treated well by the host. He hadn't been given any water for his feet. He hadn't been given perfume. All the little things that, that people do that are kindnesses and respect that he'd been neglected. And so she took what she had and she poured it on him and, and wept over his feet and, and took her hair and wiped his feet. Other people were like, who does Gosh, this guy's letting a, a sinful woman touch him. And Jesus said, she, has been, she who has been forgiven much loves much. And when you've been forgiven and you feel it, it, it's, it changes you. Grace does that. Now, it takes a while. Like if you've ever seen uh, a semi-porous material, like uh, different kinds of rock, like, when it, like where I grew up in, in Texas, there's a, lot of, there's a lot of aquifers in central Texas. Uh, and there's kind of like very dry, arid uh, coastal plain above it. But it, it rains enough in Texas, but it just doesn't, it, it seeps down through the porous rock and it finds, you know, rivers. And uh, there's, there's huge aquifers in Texas where there's beautiful fresh water, but it seeps slowly through the rock. And forgiveness seeps slowly into our heart. And it doesn't always change us like that, but we start changing. Resentment works the same way seeps slowly into the deepest parts and it becomes part of the aquifer of our heart and we draw from that and we live from it and I think the worst thing well I don't know it's the worst but the next thing Jesus said was in the parable was when you decide to withhold resentment he turns you over to the jailers he says you don't want the king and his forgiveness then I I can't force anything on you. And like I said last week, he, and when we're believers, he disciplines us by giving us what we want when what we want isn't what's best for us. And we become vulnerable to the jailers. And I'm going to read you what that is. In Ephesians 4, Paul describes what this is. And it's the parallel passage. He's, he's starting to talk to Christians about this new way of life and following Christ. Since Jesus has died for you and he's, and he's done all these amazing things for you, let's live a life that's worthy of this new calling. And what he says is, we're supposed to put off one old way of life and then put on Jesus in a new way of life. And one of the things, he goes through a, a list from chapter 4 to chapter 5 to chapter 6 of what it means to put off an old way of living and put on a new way of living. Here's one of the things he says. In your anger... Because things are going to make you angry. He doesn't say, don't be angry. He says, when you're angry, don't sin. And don't let the sun go down while you're still angry. Don't give the devil a foothold. And we've talked about this before, so I won't belabor the point. But a foothold is a Greek word for a space or the room in a house. Remember Mary and Joseph coming up to Christmas here. Mary and Joseph go back to Bethlehem. And there wasn't a room for them at the end. What he's saying is, using that same phrase, and it's used the same way in many other texts, the jailers are demonic spirits that you, by choosing to withhold bitterness and let it sink down inside you, you open doors in your life, every area of your life. Because the house is the context of that warning, and it's a room in your house. And what is your house? It's your life. And your life has many rooms. So psychologically, spiritually, physically, relationally, every dimension of your life becomes vulnerable to the enemy because this radical idea that, that does excite you on a certain level that the cross of Jesus offers you freedom and forgiveness from your sins, 
but it, it's meant to convert you to a new way of living that says, I don't want anybody to be captive to sin and wrongdoing. And what the man said, the king said, he said, when he spoke to me, he said, shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? And then it says he became angry. And see, sometimes we think, oh, and God's forgiving. You know, he's writing off anger. No, it says that Jesus, the cost of our forgiveness was paid by the Father and the Son and the Spirit. And the, what Jesus went through on the cross. And he says, it's going to cost you to forgive. But this whole thing is predicated on this idea that when we come, we're living our lives now in the, in the place that, that makes what's impossible possible, which is in Christ. That when we, bef before the Father, through the Son, with the help of the Spirit, live in His presence, in relationship with Him, we can do what we can't do. You can forgive the unforgivable. People have done it. People have done it for centuries now. It's not easy. But just like facing your own stuff, your wrong stuff, is not easy. But seeing the, the righteousness of the Father and the mercy of God expressed through Jesus, it, it informs our hearts that are proud and you know, pain avoidant and immature, and it draws us. You know, in the Old Testament, God said, about the Jewish people who were at a point when they were at their worst, he said, I'm going to draw you with cords of love. He said, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to draw you to myself, not with threats, but with love, with sacrificial love. And so he was pointing ahead to Jesus and how the Spirit would draw us to the Father through Jesus. And forgiveness has got to be one of the hardest things we'll ever be asked to do, really. I mean, we could, we could debate back and forth what's harder than that, but you get dinged hard enough by somebody, and you're going to think, this is impossible. This is the hardest thing God's ever asked me to do. But if you don't do it, what you're thinking is because you're angry at that person, you're saying, the pain I feel, you should feel, and they don't seem like they're feeling anything. In fact, they're happier than ever. And someone said years ago, once, and I thought it was a brilliant, brilliant point, that when we withhold forgiveness, it's like, Drinking poison and thinking it's going to harm that other person. It just harms us. And forgiving people is not for them, it's for us. Because it costs us so much if we don't. Now, here's the thing. Are you tired? If you recognize here today, maybe there's some unforgiveness. Maybe there's some, something that you need to deal with. And maybe, you know, God forbid, you're seeing something of the cost. And what I described, like you see some parts of your character that you go, I don't want to be like that. In fact, I'm trying really hard over here to grow as a person. And on this, now I realize, you know, I'm working against myself over here. What part of me wants to grow and mature and become the best version of myself? I can be, become who Christ made me to be. And then over here, because I feel justified in What's happened to me and how I've been treated, I felt justified in nursing that unforgiveness. Now I realize, gosh, I've been a fool. What am I supposed to do? Well, Jesus used this little phrase in the parable, and this is where I want to kind of land the plane. Now, now, sometimes my plane lands really slow. Sometimes it goes around the airport like, is it we ever going to land? Are you out of fuel yet? But I'm going to land this thing today, all right? I just have to say that because I get needled a lot in church, and I'm still working through forgiveness against all you guys. Just to be truthful here. But there, there, he, he used this phrase. Anybody got it? You haven't seen my notes. So those of you that see my notes, don't say it. But what's the key phrase he said in there? It's the punchline at the end of the parable for you people that take notes. He said, what is it that, that can help you if you've been caught in unforgiveness? What is it that can free you from the cost of this? What's the phrase? But there's add to it. If you don't forgive others, What? As you bring your friend, no, eh, that's close. <laughs> From the heart, give that guy one of those Tim Hortons free cards. <laughs> this is important. Remember I said before, you don't just choose. Now, that's from your heart. You, to forgive, you have to choose. I, it doesn't feel good. I've already sold you on that. But there's more to it. To forgive from your heart is a deeper thing than that. Okay, I want to show you four things that you have to do. 
First is you have to recognize the symptoms of unforgiveness, all right? You gotta, you, we have to learn to know our hearts, just like our kids. You know, my, my kids were acting lackadaisical, and uh, uh, after a while, it took me like eight or nine years, but Kathy, you know, like, you know, like three days into it, if our kid had a little fever, they were acting a certain way. She, oh, they got a fever. Put your hand. Oh, yeah, they do have a fever. She knew it. Eight or nine years into it, I'm thinking, what's wrong with my kids? You know, and Kathy's going, it's the fever thing, John. There are symptoms to unforgiveness. They're there. All right? I'm just going to give you a couple. One, uh, you don't feel close to God. Now, there's a lots of reasons that you might not feel close to God. You could literally be sick and have a fever, and you won't feel close to God because your body is under it. But if you go for a prolonged period of time and you don't feel close to God, you don't have any joy in your life, there's a pretty good chance that forgiveness is an issue. Unforgiveness is an issue. If you feel depressed, there are a lot of therapists who say depression is frozen anger. You've been hurt and you've internalized that and it just works on you and, and it produces depression at you know, different levels. Uh, you're avoiding. If you're angry, if you're an angry person, you're not an angry person. You understand that? You are not an angry person. Your soul is reacting to hurt. Hurt is, anger is a secondary emotion. Hurt is the primary emotion. If someone's hurt, it will always be expressed in anger in some way. You'll have a short fuse, as I like to say. And when the firecracker goes off, it's dynamite. It's not just a firecracker. It's, it's more than that. Unforgiveness is keeping an, a wound unhealed, and that the, the, the pain of that wound will produce anger. It's impossible for it not to happen. Uh, here's another emotion. You go, well, anger, I don't know if I'm super angry. You may have tamped it down real well. I'll tell you, look for this emotion. You're numb all the time. You just get numb. You, if you're numb all the time, you're probably looking at unforgiveness, maybe a lot of unforgiveness. Because numb, it's a normal emotion. But it's not an emotion that we're meant to live in as sort of a way of life. It's just not. Uh, there's other emotions. I'm going to stop there. So if you recognize the symptoms of unforgiveness and the, and the consequences of it in your heart, you've got to repent. And I'm going to lead you in a prayer of repentance to close here. Because we have to learn to repent deeply. Because did you notice, did you notice the range of emotions of the characters in this parable? I want you to just pay attention to this. The first emotion you see in the parable is the nervousness that the, the servant who has squandered all the money is probably in the grip of as he hears, oh, it's time for an accounting. Oh, my gosh. Right? And then as the accounting happens, he moves from nervous to desperate. And then the next feeling you get in the, in the story is the compassion of the king towards him. The surprising compassion. Like, they're probably... They saw compassion on the man's face. And to, to be compassionate means you have to enter in. Your heart has to enter into their circumstances. You have to enter into their life. When you do that, you see they're human. see they're real. And you can see all the other stuff because it doesn't blind you. Real compassion doesn't. My wife is, is, has compassion like an artesian well. But she can be tough as nails. And let me tell you, that's not easy to live with. Because this compassionate person will call you. You're expecting, you know, you're busted and you're just expecting this compassion. They go, you need to repent. You need to stop doing that. And I say, where's the compassion? That is compassion. It is compassion. And you know where you see it in the story? Now, okay, the, the man, oh, he's relief. Oh, my gosh, it's so good. You know, uh, you know, he's fiddler on the roof at that moment. Then he walks out. He sees one of the men that owes him money. He gets angry, you know. Then all, that man goes through a whole range of emotions. You know all this the, the story. Then the friends of the, the other servants see what happened to this man, the unforgiveness, how he was treated, and it says what they were distra distressed. And see, we are because of what resentment and living with resentment does. It deadens our conscience. It doesn't, we're not awakened to see the distress of our situation. And so we need to repent, and we need to repent deeply. And I, I just think right now the Lord's taking us, because on this journey to learn about spiritual warfare, surprisingly, he's taking us all on a journey of house cleaning. 
Because I've already made, I've already showed you the, the relationship between sin and vulnerability to the to evil. And so we're, if we want to learn to deal with evil, we're going to have to learn to, to deal with our own stuff in the middle of that. Because there is a time and a place to look outwards, but you can't look outward until you look inward first with God's help. And then work through, now, you may think, okay, if I repent of unforgiveness, then boom, now is that the time to, to forgive? No, it's not. Well, when's the time to forgive? Well, you got to do this first. This is the thing you have to learn. If you're going to really forgive people, you have to know what you're forgiving. You have to be in touch with what you're forgiving more than you are, which means you got to be in touch with the, the hurt, the grief, the anger, all the range of emotions that come when you've been wronged. And I don't mean you wallow in them, but if you're going to forgive someone of something from your heart and not your head, you're going to have to feel these things. Otherwise, and this is the danger of almost all the teachings you hear that are poor teachings on forgiveness, the danger of stressing forgiveness without forgiving from the heart is that we forgive superficially and we go away and we haven't dealt with the virus and we still have all the symptoms. And that when that happens, when we do something that's not deeply and well done, we start doubting God in a weird way because we think this stuff doesn't work. I tried that. I did a forgiving thing. I got to do something else. It doesn't work. No, it does. It really does. It's just hard, and it takes time. It's painful. I told you this forgiving is costly. Who wants to look again at what happened to us? And then what we lost. I was praying about this this morning. This grief came over me. I feel like it was this, this sense of prophetic connecting with the pain that we're carrying, that we're all carrying so much pain. Because we live in a world that's sinful. It's not the I'm not talking about the sins we've committed against people. I'm talking about the sins that people have committed against us. When we live under the weight of that, we've lost so much. There's so many losses that come. When someone hurts you and you react and they react and it just starts going, you know, volcanic, nuclear, it affects so many things in our lives. And we lose, a lot of us, we've lost our innocence. We've lost important relationships. Things have been torn out of our lives that were not meant to be torn out of our lives. And we're just walking around with that just working inside us. Is it any wonder that we, we need to be so uh, anesthetized today? That, that, that we're just desperate to find new ways? I mean, every new thing that comes up, people find a way to use that as a painkiller. And we have this thing where we can get close to the heart of God and that heart of compassion and this is what Jesus did when he was on the cross and he was bearing the weight of all the sin he didn't even forgive if you if you want to argue this point he said father forgive him father forgive him and that's what we get to then when we forgive him because what we do when we forgive after we've worked through things we forgive him we bless him we choose to forgive people in the Lord's presence, and then we bless them. Because we're in his presence, we get a different perspective on things. But God is not a God. If I want you to see how the context of this. This story of forgiving is in the context of accounting, of hard reality. God's not hiding anything. It's like, just get it out there, and let's talk about it, and let's face it. Face it with the king. See, we're afraid of facing things because we're so used to facing them on our own. And this, this is the parable of the kingdom. What is the kingdom of God? It's where God's coming into the world where we live. Like my wife Kathy said the other day, she had this great insight. She just mentioned it, but it was just, I just went, my head was blown. When you walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the Lord prepares a table there before you in the presence of your enemies. In the valley of the shadow, God is there. You're not alone because the kingdom is breaking into all these dark places. But if we let them stay dark by not shining a light on them, that we allow them to hold us captive. We allow them to just do this damage. We allow there to be a hole in the roof and water to leak in and just begin to ruin things. And so we can come. Like, what, do you think that that man's journey into accounting would have been different if he would have thought, this king, he, he's... He's just, but he is merciful. And I can bring this mess I've made up before him. And whatever he does, I can trust him. It will be good because I've heard of what he's like. And so that's what our testimony is. That's what like, we, we read from the word. And the father's saying, 
to many of us today, I'm inviting you to repent, not just in a moment, but to embrace repentance as a way of life, which is to bring it all, just to, to live in the Lord's presence as openly as you can. And that's a journey. Because I've, I've, worked, I've worked so hard for, I mean, so long in my life. I don't, it's like a teeter-totter. I'm, I'm wondering when the teeter-totters. I, I've hid so much for so long out of fear and, and some pride, but pride's informed by fear. And I just keep learning. The Lord just keeps drawing me out of that hiding and into honesty. It's painful. It's not comfortable. And we just have to keep walking that path. And as we do, what we find is the words that Jesus used to describe the king and his response to the man. He felt compassion on him and he forgave him that he let him go. Don't you want to experience that? Don't, don't, don't you want to experience the shift in that man's heart and that life? Now, he didn't let it go deep enough, obviously. It's, that's the sad story. And that's why it ended up being so off the rails. So I want, I want to ask you, just to pray with me for a minute, because I, I, can, I can, without judgment, say everybody here needs to pray this prayer. Everybody here needs to repent of, of holding back forgiveness towards people that have harmed all of us. It's one of the rare times where I can say everybody needs to do this. Some need to do it more than others. Some are more desperately being corrupted by unforgiveness and are, are more captured by the evil one, and he's causing trouble in our lives. But all of us need this. And the Lord's trying to give us this new picture to have when we think about repentance and it, that we begin to see it as this place life-giving. So if you could just stand and close your eyes with me, and I'm going to invite you after we pray this prayer. Uh, last weekend at our, our School of Kingdom Ministry class, we had this pretty wild healing where someone who'd been in a car accident uh, almost 20 years ago that's been in pain, just increasing, escalating pain for decades, and, and, and to the point now it's really hard to get around. Uh, like Sheila prayed for, her name's Bobby Yetzi, and she used to be part of our church, and she went with the church plant to Plain City. And Bobby's the sweetest person you ever know, and she came up for prayer, and she's like, you know, like a, a broken broomstick. And she stood there, and Sheila prayed for her, prayed for a couple of times, and then Bobby goes, oh my gosh, it's better. And I got a note from someone in their church this week, just said, she's healed. There's no pain. Day after day after day, she is like, she can move and bend and turn and do things. Nothing she could do before. All that came back. And I'm telling you, when we repent, there's joy and there's freedom. And that's settling over us. Each week as we do this, the kingdom is breaking in in a fresh way. And so after we pray this prayer, if you want prayer for something, I want to encourage you to come up and receive prayer for something, anything that you got that's been chronic and whatever. Uh, you know, small group leaders and prayer team people will be up here. If you repent, grace is available. And don't, you know, don't leave home without it, kids, right? Home being here, right? So, Jay, go. We, um, we were, used to be down at the um, shelters praying for people, and people get, got healed all the time. But we were praying for this woman, and she had fibromyalgia, especially in her elbow, a lot of, lot of pain, and nothing happened. Again, it was really weird. We're like, well, Jesus is weird. Nothing's happening. Well, we asked her. I said, when did this come on? She goes, well, probably about nine months ago or so. I said, okay, well, what happened nine months ago? And she said, well, I was going out with this guy named John, okay, and then John left me, dumped me uh, uh, yeah, um, and that's kind of why I'm here in the shelter. It's caused all kinds of problems, this and that. And I'm like, oh, okay, well, maybe this is connected. I said, well, do you think you could forgive him? And she's like, no, no way, because he did this and he did this because he wasn't very, wasn't very. I said, well, listen, you need to understand that forgiveness is not because John deserves it, okay? John sinned against you, and that's wrong. But when you forgive, you cut the sin that he did off of you. You break that tie. I said, would you be willing to do that? And she goes, I don't know. I said, well, will you pray this little prayer with me? She agreed, okay? But she kind of went into this. I mean, she was really, when she was describing what this guy did, she was in that emotional place you were describing. She really was feeling the pains. So we went and we prayed, um, prayed forgiveness and she released him. And as she was doing that, just tears are coming down her eyes. And she says, I forgive John. Just release him to you, God. And after she did that, I said, how do you feel? She goes, oh, wow. I feel so much lighter. I'm like, wow, well, I'm just curious. How's your elbow? Okay, and she goes, oh, there's no pain. See, 
one, one of the effects of sin sometimes is sickness and pain. And when she released the, the sin, actually, the, she said, this sin belongs to you. She gave it to God. She got healed. So there's, it's for you. Forgiveness is for you. Releasing the anger is for you. It's God's, yeah, it's, it's his provision. So that's what's on the other end of this process. So I'm not, I'm not asking you to forgive anybody right now. I've already tried to stress to you, it's gonna, there's things you need to work through to forgive from your heart. So don't rush into this. I'm just asking you to recognize before the Lord today that it's cost you to be unforgiving. And, and which, by the way, Wardle wrote a book called Wounded, and in there, around page 40-something, there's a chapter on how to forgive. And so if you want some more resources on forgiving from the heart, it's a great book for that. Uh, and maybe we'll talk about that another time. But today, we just want to nail the, we don't want to hold resentment. And we have, we want to repent. So just close your eyes. I'm going to, like we do in prayer, I'm going to repeat a phrase, and you just pray after me. It's a, tradi- a long-held tradition in the body of Christ. Uh, Dear Father, I lay before you now the darkest areas of my heart and life. I admit the many things I've done wrong. I never want to live like this again. I don't want to withhold forgiveness from anyone who's hurt me. Right now, I choose to turn away from nursing resentments and withholding forgiveness. As I stand before you today, I ask you for forgiveness. I ask you to take away all my shame, all my guilt, all my wrongdoing. I ask you to reclaim all the ground of my heart through the grace of Jesus Christ to whom I commit my life right now. I thank you for lavishing me with your love and your forgiveness. I receive it now as a free gift. Please fill me with the Holy Spirit. Take over my whole heart and life. I ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, my Lord, my Savior. Now, in the name of Jesus Christ, I pronounce over you forgiveness for your sin. I break the stronghold of unforgiveness and its grip over your life. And I say, be washed and cleansed right now, body, soul, and spirit. And I break the right that the enemy has over your life in any area of your life. And I release you into freedom and liberty. And I bless you to begin to reclaim every area of your life 